Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. We are, we are into part number four today as we jump into the fourth and final part of our Strong Church Culture series. If you've been following along for the last three weeks, if you missed them, you can jump on the podcast and you can, you can catch up on those. But we are looking at John chapter 10 and verse 10, a statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 10 verse 10, which underscores his purpose and also the four values that make up our culture as a church. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. Jesus points out four values. Firstly, he says, I have come. That's proactive. That they might have, that's others focused. Life, that's life giving. And not just any life, but life in all of its fullness. Life in all of its abundance. Life to the extreme, that's generosity. That we would be a proactive, others focused, life giving and generous church. That we would be proactive, life giving, um, proactive, others focused, life giving and generous people. And so we've been talking about this as a part of what makes up a strong church culture. I honestly believe that this will be a year of strength for MCC. That if last year was a year of stretching as we moved into this facility and saw this established, that this will be a year of strengthening. The the scripture in Isaiah that we've used as our theme for the year is this, that this is a time for us to lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes. And so if God's going to add strength to your life and to mine, to your family and to mine, to to, to this church, that then we ought to see it in a number of different ways. But in one of the ways we should see it is in the prominence of these four values in our life. That a strong church is a proactive church. A strong church is an others-focused church. A strong church is a life-giving church. A strong church is a generous church. You can remove the word church and put any other word in there and it still makes sense. A strong marriage is a proactive marriage. A strong marriage is an others-focused marriage, focusing on the needs of your partner more than on your own. A strong marriage is a life-giving marriage. A strong marriage is a generous marriage. You put the word business in there, employee in there, and it still makes sense that we would be proactive, others-focused, life-giving and generous. And so today we're up to the fourth and final value. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Today we're looking at generosity. What does it mean to be a generous person? What does it mean to be a generous church? I thank God that this is a generous church. I thank God that this church is filled with generous people. And I want to say this before I get into this message today, because as I'm talking about generosity, I'm not actually talking about money. I know we've just talked about Thanksgiving and what we've committed ourselves to, but this is actually not about money. This is about a spirit that you carry. This is about generosity, right? Generosity is about not just how you handle finance, it's about how you handle everything in your life. Your time, your talents, your words, your encouragement. That generosity is about how you handle each of those things. So this morning we're going to look at what does a strength of generosity look like? You know, in terms of key words in the Bible, it might come as a surprise to you that the word believe occurs in the Scriptures 272 times. The word pray occurs in the Bible 371 times. 
The word love, that's a pretty key word for the Bible, occurs 714 times in Scripture. And the word give appears in the Bible 2,152 times. Why? Because God, by his nature, is a giver. That God, by his nature, is generous. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That God is generous, that it's a part of his nature to to be so, that, that God withholds nothing from us, not even his own Son. And so God, by his nature, is generous. And so if you and I are going to reflect the heart of God in our world, then you and I have got to live by a strength of generosity as well. Generosity is about a spirit. It's not about an amount. It's not about money. It's not even about an action. Generosity is about a spirit that you and I carry, a spirit that is different to the culture around about us. Our our popular culture is not one of generosity. It's one of lust. Lust is about getting, love is about giving. We have a culture, right, that that is actually built around the idea of lust, that that we want more and get more. And and so as a culture of lust, a culture of getting, that the scriptures stand in direct contrast to that, saying actually that your best life is not lived by getting more or lusting after other things. It's actually built by giving, if lust, if lust is an expression of getting, then love or generosity is an expression of loving. Rick Warren, I love how he puts it. He says this. He says, generosity is love in action. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. How true is that? And so generosity is love in action. And so if you and I are going to reflect the heart of God in our world, then generosity must be a prominent priority in the way that we live our lives. The truth is the Bible has a lot to say about generosity. The generosity is not about an amount. The the widow with the two mites proves that. Generosity is not even about money. Because, of course, we can be generous with lots of things outside of finance alone. Generosity is not even about an action. Generosity is first an attitude before it's an action. Listen to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 9 says this, he who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. The Bible says that generosity is not about an action or an amount. Generosity is not even about money. The Bible says that generosity is actually about an eye. It's about a way that you see the world. It's about a perspective. It's about an attitude of the heart. It's about a spirit that you carry. And so this morning as we look at what, what is what does it mean to live as a generous person, to carry, to carry a spirit that's generosity is actually an eye, it's a way that you see the world, then perhaps this might help us this morning to live by these attitudes. Here's the first one. Attitudes of a generous person. Number one, when you give, never remember it. And when you receive, never forget it. That's how a generous person thinks. That's how a generous person lives. That, that, when, that when I give, I never remember it. But when I receive, I never forget it. But when a generous person, a person with a generous heart gives, that they never remember it. There's no strings attached. There's no payback required with interest. That there's no hidden agendas. When they give, they never remember it. They put it out of their mind. But, but when they receive something, they never forget it. That they show gratitude, that they look for ways to, to show that generosity and kindness forward as well. 
Isaiah 32 verse 8 says it like this. It says, but a generous person devises generous things. A generous person is constantly looking for, for how can I show generosity? How can I show kindness? How, how can I show love? A generous person devises generous things and by generosity he shall stand. Why? Because a generous person sees with a generous eye. Which means when they give, they never remember it. And when they receive, they never forget it. Because generosity is not a tactic. Generosity is not a strategy. Generosity is an attitude of a person who's grateful for what they've been given and opportunistic about how they can be a blessing to others. The first attitude of a person who carries a generous spirit is when you give, never remember it. And when you receive, never forget it. Here's the second one. Talking about attitudes of generous people. Always do more than is expected. That's how a generous person thinks. I'm going to do more than is expected. Because ultimately, generosity is about exceeding expectations. About doing more than than what would be expected. If this week you gave 38 hours to work in your job and you're employed full-time, that would not be generous. They'll be expected. You're employed full-time. If you gave two hours to mow your neighbor's lawn, that would be generous. Because it's not expected, right? And so it's not about the amount of hours. You spend 38 hours at at work and two hours at the neighbor's house, and and the hours are different. But but the difference between the two is that one's expected and one's not. If you spent all Saturday helping to move house, that would be generous. But if it was your house that you were moving, that wouldn't be generous. Right? Because generosity is about exceeding expectation. And so a generous person always thinks, I'm always going to do more than is expected. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches on this in verse 38. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile... Go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The Jesus teaching, this is actually how you live a generous life. If someone asks you to walk one mile, don't just walk one mile, exceed their expectation, walk two. That Jesus is referring to something that was a common practice in the first century. That if you were stopped by a Roman soldier or somebody in authority and they asked you to carry something, then you were obligated by law to carry it for one mile. But they could not ask or insist that you carry it any more than one mile. You remember even when Jesus is on the way to the cross, that he stumbles and falls and one of the soldiers turns to a guy called Simon and says, you pick up the cross, you carry it the rest of the way. Right? He carries it another mile. Why, does he, why is he asked to do that? And why does he not um, refuse? Because it was a part of law. That, that if you were asked by somebody in authority, a Roman soldier or the like, to carry something, you were required by law to do so for a mile. And so Jesus says, if you're asked to carry something for a mile, don't just carry it for a mile, carry it for two. Why? Because that's generous. And for every step of that second mile, that soldier is thinking to themselves, why are they doing this? This makes no sense. I've seen lots of people carry things for a mile. Why are they carrying it too? And so every step for that second mile, you can imagine the kind of conversation that might happen. Why are you doing this? That generosity is about doing more than is expected. Our church is filled with people like this, who just do more than is expected. 
You can think of countless examples of, of different things that have happened over the last 12 months where different people were asked to do something, but they just went far above and beyond what they were asked and did more than is expected. What is that? That's a generous heart. That's a generous spirit. John Wesley put it like this. He said, do all, that, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. And so a generous spirit says, when, when you give, never remember it. When you receive, never forget it. A generous spirit carries the attitude, always do more than is expected. Here's a third one. Always leave things better than you found them. Come on, have you ever lent something to somebody? People who are smiling are the people who are still waiting for their stuff back. <laughs> Always leave things better than you found them. If you borrow something, don't just give it back. By the way, good idea, give it back, right? But don't just give it back. Give it back in a better condition than when you received it. Give it back clean. Give it back full of fuel. If it was broken, fix it. Give it back in a better state than you found it. If you do that, you will find a lineup of people willing to lend you stuff, right? Um, if you have been given a responsibility, maybe in your work, right? If you've been given a responsibility in work, then be diligent with it. Be faithful to the instructions that you've been given and ensure that what you give back is in a better state than when it was first given to you. Right? If you do that, you'll find that opportunities constantly come looking for you. And we're talking about a generous spirit. A generous spirit lives by the attitude, always leave things better than you found them. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus teaches on the parable of the shrewd manager. Listen to what he says in Luke 16 and verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so if you, have, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? That a generous spirit lives by the convictions that when you give, never remember it, and when you receive, never forget it. Always do more than is expected. Always leave things better than you found them. Here's number four. Putting God first will never leave you second. It's a conviction of people who live by generosity. But, but what about if I give God the best years of my life? But what about if I give God the best of my talents? But what about if I give God my, my best, then, then I'll be left with just the bit that's left over. I'll, I'll be left with less than the best. Well, one of the things you've got to resolve in your heart if you're going to be a generous person is that by putting God first, it will never, ever, ever leave you second. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaking, he's teaching on why do you worry about things? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat? And why do you worry about what you're going to wear? And why do you worry about how you're going to provide? And it feels like Jesus is talking to people who are going through a cost of living crisis. Right? Matthew chapter 6. You can go back and read it. But in the middle of Jesus talking about this, saying, why are you worrying about these things? Tomorrow has its own troubles. Jesus says this in verse 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Why? Because God is no man's debtor. 
And so Jesus gives the context of seeking first the kingdom of God. He gives it in the context of there's a lot of things that you and I can worry ourselves over. And yet, if we'll seek first the kingdom of God, we serve a God who is faithful and just and true. And putting him first will never leave us second. There's been a couple of... um, just amazing things have happened in the last few weeks. And one of those was actually in a conversation with uh, Dara. Uh, many of you will know Dara and the fact that he's recently graduated from the Conservatorium of Music. Amazing uh, drummer and percussionist. And uh, he had an opportunity to be able to go to, to Nashville to do an internship and, and stuff with a, with a church that was there and potentially look at recording studios. And I sat down with him a little while ago. I'd prayed about it. I'd really wrestled over asking him this. And I sat, in, sat down with him and I said, look, I, um, I've left this a long while to ask you this, but I need to make a big ask. Um, I've left it a long while because I don't want to hold you back from any opportunities that are coming. And lots of opportunities will come your way. But I don't want to say no for you. So I want to ask you, will you give a year here? Before you go to Nashville, before you go and do that, would you give a year here to establishing a youth worship team and seeing that established for MCC? Dara, to his credit, had said, yeah, I'll pray about it. I'll be happy to pray about that. Um, he had already organized he was going to be going in August um, to Nashville and that was going to be part of the story and scenario there. And, but to his credit, he said, I'll, I'll pray about it. And so the day later, he received an, an email from the guys in Nashville saying, please don't come. We've realized we can't take international students. Um, for another year and so you'll need to stay in Australia for another year and then potentially that could happen um, after that. I I caught up with Dara and and he said it's kind of interesting this has just happened. That means that that option's off the table. It doesn't mean that all the other options of going overseas are off the table but in a Sunday service just a couple of weeks ago Dara was in worship and he said to me he said I just felt challenged that, that this should be a year that I give as like a first fruits to God before I go and build my career, that my first year out of university, I should spend it at building the local church. What is that? What is that? That's a generous spirit. That's a person who's caught a heart of generosity. And as the pastor, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. This is amazing, right? Because that's a very significant thing for our church. And, and significant in lots of ways for Dara's own life. But, but what is that? that? That's generosity. That that's somebody realizing, do you know what? When I give my best to God, it doesn't leave me worse off. In fact, Dara said to me, he said, I actually feel a bit more excited about this than what I've, about anything else. That's an incredible thing. Here's number five. You ready? I've got 82 of these to go. <laughs> it's not true. Here's number five. I totally missed what that was. Um, Number five, if you keep money out of your heart, God will keep it in your hip pocket. This is the only point that actually mentions money. If you keep money out of your heart, God will keep it in your hip pocket. Stinginess is not about what you have. Stinginess is actually about what has you. If you're going to live a, a generous life, if you're going to live with a generous spirit, it's actually not about what you have. It's not about what talents you have. It's not about what time you have or don't have. It's not about what giftings you have or don't have. It's actually about what's got you. I, um, 
I've told this story before that, that when Elise and I get engaged, I propose on a 40-foot Riviera boat that I borrowed from somebody. Um, in Now, as an older person, um, so much more mature than I was back then, <laughs> I thought to myself, why on ever did I take that boat out? Like, if I had crashed it, how on earth am I replacing it, right? But I proposed to Elise on a million-dollar boat. And the way that it happened is that this family friends had sort of asked my parents, like, are Daniel and Elise engaged yet? And my parents had mentioned it to me. And so I called them. I said, hey, I actually would really love to propose to Elise on a boat. I was wondering if I could maybe pay for a skipper to take out your boat. I could propose out near Magnetic Island. And, uh, and, just, and, and he'd said that the guy who owned the boat said, you've got your boat license, don't you? Like, when I spend a couple of hours with you on Thursday, I'll, I'll show you how to be able to drive it and stuff, and then you take it out. And so that's exactly what I did. On the Saturday night, right, we get down to the marina. I, I say to Elise, let's go for a little walk. And we walk around the marina. And then lo and behold, there's this gate that's open. And oh, we should just walk down there. And as we walk down, there's this big Riviera flybridge boat that's sitting there. Engines are running, tied off, blue incandescent light underneath the hull. And you know, it looks like it's running for us. And so there's you know, a sheath of roses that's there inside. It's three bedrooms, granite kitchen, amazing. Elisa's recollections of our engagement is I propose, and then I'm like, cool, let's take the boat out. Um, <laughs> right? So I propose to Elise. We take the boat over to Magnetic Island, anchor it there. I call the guy, say, hey, boat's doing totally fine. Come back. He, he meets us at the dock, ties the boat off. We take off. I drop Elise home right? Um, he entrusted me with a million-dollar boat. At the same time, I had a friend who had like a $3,000 Ford Focus, wouldn't let anyone drive it. <laughs> wouldn't let anyone touch his Ford Focus, right? The point is, generosity is not about what you have. Generosity is about what has, has you. Materialism is not about the mere possession of things. Materialism is about the undisciplined appetite that causes a person to be governed and controlled by a desire for more. If having things was a problem, then there's a lot of people in the Bible who would have had problems. Solomon had a lot. Abraham had a lot. Job, at the end of his life, received back more than he had before, and he was pretty rich beforehand. David had a lot. Um, lot, the guy whose name was actually Lot, he also had a lot, Right? Having things is not a problem, but things having you is a problem. Remember, we're talking about the attitudes of a generous person, that, that if I live by the commission, if I keep money out of my heart, that then God will put it in my hip pocket. His First Timothy chapter 6, it's Paul writing to Timothy, encouraging a young pastor as he leads his church. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Notice Paul gives instructions if you have wealth, but he never condemns them for it. And so a generous spirit is one that lives by the convictions that when I receive, I never, I never forget it. But when I give, I never remember it. That, that I always want to do more than is expected. That I always want to leave things better than I found them. That, that putting God first will never leave me second. And if I keep money out of my heart, God will keep it in my hip pocket. Here's the sixth and final one here as the worship team comes back. 
It's that every good thing in my life comes from God. We're talking about convictions of a generous person, attitudes of a generous person, that every good thing comes from God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of, of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Stinginess will cause you and I to hold on tightly to things, so tightly that we cause them to die in our own hands. But generosity allows us to be able to hold things loosely, to hold things lightly, to hold things with an open hand, acknowledging that every good thing that comes into my life actually comes as a result of God, right? Every good thing. Your talents, they're not just from you. Sure, you worked on them. But but those talents that you've got, those abilities that you've got, the health that you've got, the business idea that you had, that, that every good thing that God brings into our life, that every good thing that finds its way into my life, it comes from God. And so stinginess, right, as a heart attitude will cause you to hold on tightly to what you have, so tightly that you squeeze the life out of it. But generosity allows you to hold things with an open hand. See that all these good things that have found their way into my life, yeah, sure, there was a little bit of sweat from me, but ultimately they came from God. In the parable of the talents that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25, it's what the servants believed about their master that made all the difference. In Matthew 25, you know the story that to one, five talents given, and to one, two talents given, and to the other, just one talent was given. And the master goes away, and when he returns, the guy who had five, he's been diligent with what he's been given, and so he turns it into another five. He's now got ten. And the guy who's got two, he was diligent with what he's been given, and he's worked hard with it, and that two's turned into four. And the guy who's had one has been so afraid that he hides it in the ground. This is what the scripture says. Then he would receive the one talent came, verse 24, and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. So I held on tightly. And I went and hid the talent in the ground. And look, here, here it is back. What's yours? That actually, he was so afraid that he took what he had, he held on tightly to it, he hid it in the ground so no one else knew about it. He was so afraid, he never held it up for it to become anything more than what it was. He did so not because of what he believed about himself, not even what he believed about the talents that he'd been given. What, he actually, what actually kept him holding on tightly was what he believed about the master. I knew you to be a hard man, so I was afraid. In the end, his talent is taken from him and it's given to the man who's got 10. Because even what he has that he's held on tightly to with such fear doesn't remain in his hands. And so when you think about what does it mean to be a generous person, to carry a generous spirit, the Bible says that generosity is not about money. It's not about an amount. It's not even about an action. That generosity first begins for you and I as an attitude long before it's an action. That that generosity is about an eye. It's about a way that you see the world. It's about a mindset, a perspective. A perspective that says that when I give, I'll never remember it. And when I receive, I'll never forget it. That I'll always do more than is expected. That I'll always leave things better than I found them. That when I put God first, it'll never leave me second. That if I keep money out of my heart, it'll allow God to keep money in my pocket. That every good thing in my life comes from God. As we bring this to a conclusion this morning, I want to give you three attitudes 
Those are, three, those are six attitudes that will help you have a generous spirit. Here's three attitudes that will keep you from having a generous eye. Here's the first one. These are real simple. You'll never be generous when you think you do not have enough. You'll never be generous when you think you do not have enough. Some people see the, the glass as being half empty, right? It's called pessimism. And some people see the glass as being half full. That's called optimism. But David in Psalm 23 verse 5 said, My cup runneth over. Come on, people of faith, I don't see my cup as half empty or as half full. I see my cup as running over. I serve a good God. You'll never be generous when you think you don't have enough. Here's a second one. You'll never be generous while you're more aware of what you don't have than grateful for what you do have. Gosh, isn't that a challenge? Where you become more aware of the things that you don't have, that then you are grateful for the things that you do have. You'll find that when you're aware of the things you don't have, rather than being grateful, it'll cause generosity to begin to cease in your own life. Here's the third one. You'll never be generous while your things have you. Again, this is not about finance. This could be about anything. But while your things have you, you'll struggle to be generous. And so for you and I, we want to be people who are generous. We want to be people who reflect the heart of God. We want to be people who make an impact for Jesus, to, to live big lives, to, to be known as generous people. I love what Proverbs 11 says. You can read this in different translations, these few verses, but Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 in the message maybe puts it the most succinctly. It says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I don't have to think for too long to be able to see that illustrated in my own family. See that illustrated just in the people that I know. That the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy, the scripture says, it gets smaller and smaller. Because you end up holding on so tightly to what you have that even what you have, you squeeze the life out of it. I want to live the kind of life that gets larger and larger. I want to live the kind of life that makes an impact. I've only got one life to live. I want to use every ounce of it to bring glory to God. And so I want to be the kind of person, I reckon you're the same, who wants to live a life that's proactive. They're not waiting for things to happen, but on the balls of my feet, wanting to see God do incredible things. Saying, God, if you're looking for someone to be involved, then choose me. Right? I'm not inactive. I'm not reactive. God, I'm proactive. I thank God that he wasn't waiting for us to make our way to him. Instead, Jesus made his way to us. That God came to earth. That's the gospel. That we aren't making our way to him, trying to earn our way to heaven. No, no, no. Jesus stepped out of heaven and, and made his way to us and hung on a cross between heaven and, how, between heaven and earth in order for us to be made right with God. I, I want to be a proactive person. I want to reflect the heart of God. I, I don't just want to be proactive. I want to be others focused. That Jesus, in every interaction throughout the Gospels, you see, Jesus is others-focused. Jesus doesn't make the story about him. If any person can make the story about them, it's probably God. And yet the whole testimony of Scripture is actually God being others-focused. That Jesus is in the middle of, of redeeming all mankind. He's on the cross. And there's a sinner on his right and a sinner on his left. And the story breaks out between the two of them. And, and, and 
And Jesus, even in the middle of redeeming all mankind, has time for a conversation with a guy who happens to be on the cross beside him. Jesus was others focused. I want to be others focused. And I'm not so aware of my own needs that I'm not aware of other people's needs. That, that I want to be life-giving. That, that I, want to, I want to be a kind of person who brings life and joy. And, and not just the kind of life that's temporal, but the kind of life that's eternal. The kind of joy that laughs. I want my kids' memories in our home to be memories filled with life. We're here this morning. There's one of my, uh, one of my son's friends who's here this morning. And uh, they do something around their dinner table that we have started doing because they do it. And it's when somebody spills something on the table, everyone has to give a big round of applause and cheer because they're the first person to spill something, which is kind of like a prize. As opposed to getting really upset that something got spilt on the table. It's a really cool thing. They did it one time when they were having dinner with us. We thought, that's really cool. We want to add that to like our family traditions. If someone spills something, you have to give a big round of applause and cheer. If we could learn how to whistle, we'd start whistling, right? Because I want the memories for our children to be memories of life in our home. I want people's memories of being in church to be life-filled memories. That was a place of joy. That was a place where life happened. And I want to be a generous person. Because God, by His nature, is generous. And if we're going to reflect the heart of God in our world, then, then you and I ought to be generous. Here's the truth about generosity. Is that generosity unlocks people's hearts. That's what God's generosity did to us. Isn't that what the Scripture says? That we love because why? He first loved us. Because God was generous in His mercy and grace, it unlocked our hearts to receive His salvation. That when you and I show generosity, that it has the ability to unlock people's hearts because it reflects the nature of God. It's so different to the culture around us. But when you and I live generously, not to get, but to give, we express the heart and the love of God. Will you stand to your feet this morning as we pray? Lord, I thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd seal this word in our hearts. That, Lord, you would help us to be those kind of people. God, you'd help us to be generous. God, that you'd help us to be part of the answer in the world around about us. Holy Spirit, seal this message in our heart. God, bring it back to our remembrance. Lord, even this week, that we'd be reminded that you were first generous to us. That, God, we might reflect that same heart to those around about us. In Jesus' name. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.